Hey everyone, it's Jim Surek. Hope you guys are doing well. So I couldn't be more excited once again about this podcast. I had the opportunity to interview Dr. Corey Kidd, the CEO of Catalia Health. Catalia Health is a artificial intelligence, a machine learning device that uses psychology and medical best practices to help chronically ill patients keep up with the treatment protocol their providers have given them. So they created, this is unbelievable, a robot that actually sits in the patient's house and has two to three minute conversations with the patient a couple times a day to check in um, with the patients on their health, address some of the challenges to their treatment adherence, and it builds a more complete picture about each patient. This robot is building a relationship with the patient and it just gets the patient more involved with their own care, which is a big challenge for chronically ill patients. And um, I couldn't be more excited just because I believe Catalia Health and companies like Catalia Health are the future to med tech. When you're combining artificial intelligence and the machine learning where those conversations the robot has becomes more relevant and improved over time and it's helping patients live a better life and it's reducing healthcare costs at the same time, this is the future. There's so many companies out there that are on the cusp of greatness and this is one. So sit back, enjoy it, and whatever you do, make sure you look up Catalia Health and follow this company because it's exciting. So without further ado, let's get at it. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Medical Sales Nation. It's Jim Surik, and I am thrilled to have on the podcast today Dr. Corey Kidd. He is the CEO at Catalia Health. And uh, as I said to you guys before, trying to build the Medical Sales Nation, bringing in new ideas, thoughts, thought leaders, concepts, new ways in which healthcare is uh, being revolutionized. I came across Catalia on MedTech Strategist platform, just looking at some some uh, really interesting technologies out there. And I'm going to uh, introduce Corey to you guys um, in a way so that he can introduce himself to you because his background is extensive. He's an MIT grad, so I'm probably the dumbest guy he's ever talked to in his life. So, so with that, Corey, can you introduce yourself and just tell us about your background and who you are? Yeah, absolutely. First, thanks for having me on. It's uh, great to talk to you. So I am currently the CEO and founder of Catalia Health, as you mentioned. Quick background is I have been working in healthcare technology for over 20 years now. So I've been building this kind of stuff, and I'm sure we'll get into what that means uh, yeah. for, for a long time. A lot of it has used artificial intelligence uh, for looking at how we solve some of the big challenges around healthcare and aging. And so that's uh, what I've been up to, and that's really what drives what we do at Catalia Health and focused on chronic disease management. Sure. So now, you're, I mean, you do, I mean, you have been in the business for a long time and, you know, working in this area and you did your PhD at MIT 
Was it focused on artificial intelligence and robotics? It was. So I was in a robotics lab inside the MIT Media Lab. A lot of my coursework was in artificial intelligence and psychology. And I actually spent uh, part of my time for a few years commuting across town to Boston University Medical Center, where I was fortunately able to see patients in a diabetes and weight management clinic. So a lot of my training has been across, uh, you know, my degrees are on the technology side in artificial intelligence over the last couple of decades. But uh, a lot of the work has really been looking at how do we apply this in the real world in healthcare settings, whether that be in what we think of as a traditional healthcare setting in a clinic, uh, but more often than not in the rest of our lives at home or on the go. Right. So it's really interesting because when you look across you know, the media out there, whether that's just through LinkedIn or online uh, articles, especially, you know, I keep mentioning MedTech strategists, um, online magazine and the information they put out, it is highly focused around or it just seems to be going that way, you know, digital health, artificial intelligence, robotics, predictive analytics, and a lot of us in the medical field that have been around a while or because we become isolated in what we do, we don't pay attention to a lot of these changes. I, I have a lot of friends and when I start mentioning it, they kind of scratch their heads and go, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm selling a device to a doctor or a new tool to a doctor. What, what are we talking about? And so I want to get into that a little bit, but you, you got into artificial intelligence in 2003 um, at MIT you know, through 2007. Did, was your intent with art, artificial intelligence to use it for healthcare or did that just evolve? Yeah, so my work over a long time now has really been on applying that to healthcare. So I actually got involved in AI in the mid 1990s. Okay. Uh, so <clears throat> before I got to MIT in 2001, I've been working uh, for for quite a while in the space already. And you know, if we look at these changes, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, of course, is is not a new field. You know, it's been around for more than a half a century now. And a lot of the stuff that you know we see as new in the marketplace has been around for decades. And so it's one of those things where, you know, if you look at it from a, a certain angle and, you know, you've maybe been a researcher in the space, then you know this has been around for a while. But in terms of actual, you know, commercial impact or healthcare impact, it is brand new. Yeah. You know, we're just now starting to see this kind of stuff come to market. And, you know, that's been the case across, you know, that, that story has been the case across medicine for decades. You know, things that will spend decades in the lab until they're ready to move into the real world then suddenly become reality. And we're at that point in time with a lot of technology. You know, artificial intelligence, of course, is getting a lot of attention uh, in the last year or two. That's one of the big areas that, that we're starting to see have an impact on what we're doing in the real world, uh, as well as a lot of related technologies, be they hardware or software technologies. And we're now seeing a lot of change in this. Okay. So you've been in it a long time. Like I said, you have your master's from MIT, your PhD, um, you move into this. How did you go from there? What, did, what drew you to creating Catalia? Because I'm, I'm really interested in that, and I think our, our audience would be interested in that, that progression to where we are today and um, you know, just, just how you got there. 
Yeah, absolutely. Let me give you a little more detail on my background, which is back in the 90s, I was at Georgia Tech over in Atlanta and uh, got involved in a lot of research around what we now call aging in place. And so looking at ways to to use technology to help people live at home longer instead of move into a nursing home or assisted living facility or, or in with a relative or something like that. And, you know, when I left there to go back to grad school, I wanted to focus in on a set of challenges that, you know, a lot of people are familiar with, which is, you know, to, to step back for a second and think about everything that, you know, all of us are doing in terms of, you know, healthcare, whether that be on the pharma side or the devices or the processes and procedures, you know, we've made incredible advances over the last, I don't know, 50 or 100 years, right? Medicine has changed drastically. Sure. And the proof of that is we live a lot longer, you know, if we right. look back. Over the last century, lifespan's gone up by about 30 years in developed nations around the world. So that, that's incredible. Uh, but the challenge that comes with that is now that we're living longer, we're dealing with you know, more and more uh, what we think of as chronic diseases. So things that you know, if you find out that you have it, you're not going to die from tomorrow, which might have been the case 100 years ago. Right. But you're going to live with it for years or for decades. And, and so obviously there's a huge plus there. We can manage these. We can deal with them. But the challenge is now more and more of us are dealing with these conditions on an everyday basis. And so what that usually means is you know, we get a diagnosis, maybe a prescription or some sort of a treatment and you know doctor says okay great you know I'll see you in six months or a year you know, right. call me if you need yeah. something right and that part of healthcare really hasn't changed that much and so I really started focusing in on how do we solve some of those problems okay. you know what happens after we have that diagnosis after we get that treatment and you know we're supposed to kind of follow up with it on our own day after day month after month year after year and, and, and that's always been challenging and so I started looking at you know what are the technologies that might have an impact there and one of the things I started looking at was interactive robots or social robots. And these are new now, you know, these are just starting to, to come to market today. But this was back in 2001, right? Like, sure. Years ago. And, and so definitely very new at that time. Uh, and, you know, from the first couple of them that had been built, you know, there seemed to be some promise in, in what they might be able to do. And so my first couple of years at MIT, essentially my master's degree, was this whole series of studies trying to understand what's happening when people are interacting with these things. And obviously, this involved some technology. I had to build and program the robots because there was nothing out there I could use. But it was really all about psychology. And trying to understand the psychology of, you know, people interacting with this kind of technology. And so, you know, it was really comparing and contrasting to a couple things. So on one side, we have a lot of knowledge about people interacting with certain technologies. So the field of human-computer interaction has been around for many decades now. We know a lot about that. Uh, and on the other side of it, we know a whole lot about people interacting with one another. The field of psychology has been sure. around for, for, for centuries now. And so, you know, the thesis was that interactive robots that can look at you and talk to you are probably somewhere in the middle. Let's let's figure out what that, you know, what's going on there, what that actually looks like when we evaluate it. And the quick summary of what we found is, you know, probably all of, uh, you know, both you and I and everyone listening to this spends a lot of our time in meetings. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. As the CEO of a small company, I spend a ton of my time on the road with our customers, our patients, our investors. Uh, you know, why do I or any of us go to that trouble? We could sit in the comfort of our offices and homes and, you know, make phone calls or, or do video conferences, but we don't. We, we show up for those face-to-face meetings. And we do that because we get 
intuitively that it's different when we're face-to-face and, you know, with someone. Now, it turns out that psychologically, we can actually talk about what those differences are. We understand them. We're more engaged in the conversation. We create a stronger relationship. That relationship lasts longer. This is why in sales, you know, we spend so much of our time in those face-to-face meetings right. because it really does make a difference. And so to come back to the work I was doing almost two decades ago, what we found is that those differences actually carry over into the world of technology. In other words, when we put a robot in front of someone that can literally look them in the eyes, as opposed to delivering the same kind of thing through a screen-based interface, you know, your computer, your TV, or the ubiquitous devices we all carry in our pockets today, when you have that robot there, you get the psychological effects of face-to-face interaction. And so it turns out it's better at creating a relationship, it's better at engaging that person for longer. And where does that really make an impact in healthcare? In chronic care management. You know, because the focus there is really about how do we engage someone in their care over an extended period of time. And so that's really the foundation for a lot of the work that I've done since then in terms of what the interface looks like. Uh, and we could talk more about the, the AI side of it and how we create those conversations with a patient, but ultimately, when we combine that hardware and software, we get something that is much more effective in terms of the outcomes that we're trying to achieve. So it's fascinating, though, that you can take psychology and embed it into a software program that a robot uses. I mean, how do you, how do you figure that out, right? I mean, how do you figure out the study of psychology and put it into a software? And what made you think it would work? Well, the, the how do you figure it out is many, many years of work. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, that was, you know, <laughs> I don't even think MIT would let me through their front door. So, um, yeah, a lot of work, right? Oh, no. Well, and for me, that's why I wanted to do a PhD. You know, a PhD for me was four and a half years. And that gave me the time to really, you know, dig in deep and answer the question that you're asking. Okay. And a lot of it is looking at, okay, what are the real challenges that we're seeing in chronic care management? And, you know, I think a classic example of, you know, seeing what those issues are and why you need to think deeply about it is if you look out at a lot of the solutions that are on the market today for this problem and, and you know, these supposed solutions tend to make a very incorrect assumption, which is that the reason that people aren't staying on some kind of therapy is they, they forget to take a pill. You know, go out and look around and tell me how many different pill reminders or yeah. glowing or beeping pill bottles or pill caps or text messaging services or smartphone apps. Or, right? I could go on and yeah. on and you know, there, there's literally hundreds, if not thousands of things that have been built to do this. And the issue there is those are not solving the real problem. Sure, once in a while, someone might forget to do something, but then they're going to remember and they're going to get back to it. That's not why people are going off therapy. And so a lot of that work was trying to understand, okay, what's really going on okay. here? What are the challenges? And that's where the psychology comes in because, you know, we're looking at, you know, what's going on with people over time? What causes someone to adhere to a program or to drop off of it? What are the challenges that people face? You know, when we look at what we do at Catalia Health today, you know, when we start working in any new disease state, we look at two sets of things, the positive and the negative. On the positive side, guidelines and best practices. You know, for a particular disease and treatment, what do we want to be doing with patients? And, right. you know, from medicine, we know a lot about that, right? We, we know what should be done. We know what that ideal journey is for a patient. And, of course, there's the reality that that ideal journey is the case for pretty much no one. Okay. <laughs> you know, there's always something that comes up, something that happens along the way. So what are those challenges? Uh, and, you know, there are really 
different challenges depending on the disease that we're talking about and the treatment, but they fall into three categories. Uh, so one of them is around symptom management, you know, the symptoms of the disease, yeah. what's happening to me or what's not happening to me, and, you know, how is that changing over time? Uh, the second category are around side effects, you know, treatments do have side effects for some portion of patients at some point in time. How do we help to manage and mitigate those? And the third category are the psychosocial issues, stress, anxiety, depression. You know, when we're dealing with something for years or decades, that can become a big factor. Sure. And so, you know, all of this is, of course, then related to how we think about it. This is not just, you know, pure, quote unquote, medicine, right? It, it's about, you know, how I interact with the treatment on a daily basis over a long period of time. And so fundamentally, those are the challenges that we need to be solving when we think about chronic care management. And they're the traditional, you know, things that we want to look at in terms of how do we connect that patient better to their doctor or their care team? How do we get the data back to them and all those sorts of things? But fundamentally, it's how do we keep that patient on the treatment over an extended period of time? Yeah. It, I mean, that, that's, that, that's so interesting. So are, do you embed within your company psychologists, psychiatrists to help you along these lines to make sure you're, you're diving deep into the right psychological pathways or are you just doing the research on your own? So it's a it's a combination, you know. A lot of the background research was what I had done about 15 years ago. Now, in terms of our team, you know, we have both in-house clinicians and consulting clinicians, whether that be doctors or nurses sure. or psychologists, uh, on different areas of this. And you know, depending on what's most important when we're building content and an application for a particular patient population, we'll bring in the right experts to help with that. Okay. Yeah. No. It's it, it's it's so interesting now. When you started the company, so what's the exact year that you started? So this company is about four and a half years old. Okay. We started in uh, 2014. Okay, so it's it's fairly new, um, you know, from a yes. startup perspective. I mean, that's pretty quick. Did you, when I'm just interested, you're going out, you're talking to people. What was their first reaction to you introducing this concept, whether it was looking for funding or support from, you know, any sort of organization? How did they react to it? Well, it's highly varied. <laughs> you know, there are some people, of course, who who get it right away and who love it and you know want to be a part of it. Uh, and then I would say the vast majority are are either skeptics, you know, kind of show me that it will work, show me the data, or just you know flat out tell me it will never work. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. <laughs> you know, and, and I think the good thing about starting this company a few years ago was you know, the first randomized controlled trial of this was almost a dozen years ago at this point. And so we do have data showing how and why this works with patients. Okay. Okay. So, so then what made you then, you know, four and a half years ago, say, I'm, I'm starting this, right? I mean, I'm going to make my own. So you had the data, the data has been out there for 12 or some odd years. People are trying this. What, what um, lit the fire in your belly? Well, this is something I've been working on for a long time. So I finished my PhD at the very end of 2007. And so I mentioned briefly earlier that, you know, I worked at MIT is where I did my PhD, but then I spent some time seeing patients in a diabetes and weight management clinic at Boston University Medical Center along the same mm -hmm. time frame. And so I started my first company directly out of grad school, focusing on diabetes and weight management. That's a place that we had shown this would work well with patients. Uh, and we, so we started commercializing this in 2008 in that market. And, you know, going into that, we knew that this was this, this huge bet on, on being way too early. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, 
more than a decade ago now, uh, building this stuff was a whole lot more expensive than it is today. Uh, you know, the market in general just wasn't really ready for health tech, so we knew it was an uphill battle. Uh, and, you know, I ran that company for about five years. We did some deals uh, all across the healthcare system, you know, pharma, payers, providers, self-insured employers. We even did some direct-to-consumer, uh, but nothing that would ever really scale. And so what happened was uh, after about five years, it ended up, you know, effectively shutting down that company and really looking at what the opportunity was in terms of where we could bring this to more patients more quickly. And so really looking across, you know, what the opportunities were for something that clinically we knew worked. We understood the the how and the why this was effective with patients, but trying to better understand, you know, at this point in time, so back in 2014, what was the opportunity to actually, you know, bring this to patients in the real world at scale. And that led to starting Catalia Health, which, you know, now we're focused across a variety of different disease states and different ways of reaching patients. Okay. So you, you started in 2014. You've mentioned that, um, you're, you're, you are working with some pharma companies and some healthcare systems. When, when was the first product launched? Just this past year. So uh, first patients started using this a little under a year ago. That's our heart failure product that is in the market now. Uh, and in the next couple of months, we'll actually be launching two additional products, one in rheumatoid arthritis uh, and another in kidney cancer. So we are working across a, a variety of different disease states. And this year, 2019, for us is really about scaling this up and getting this in front of a lot more patients. Okay, so so you go ahead. So you you have your first product for heart failure. You got two more coming um, out this year. How are you? Who are you selling this to, and how? So we have two customers. We are selling to big pharma. And we are selling to providers. And the reason for that goes back to the questions that I was trying to answer when starting this company, which is to say, you know, we were figuring out where this is useful in healthcare. And so that was question number one. And, you know, the short answer to that is lots of places. Okay. <laughs> we could sit here and brainstorm, you know, scores of applications of this in healthcare where better engaging patients and getting data about what's going on would be useful. Uh, and so, you know, that told me there was a huge opportunity. But from a startup perspective, that's not necessarily a good answer. You need a right. lot more focus than that. Yeah, so question two is, okay, where can we sell this today? And, and that really comes back to the answer to the question that you're asking me, which is to say that you know, the way that I looked about it, it, looked at it is what we're doing on the patient interface side. You know, we're literally putting... Um, uh, you know, robots in our patients' homes. They're right. using AI to talk to them, right, in a right. very scalable way. There's no human on the other end. That's very innovative and different. <laughs> right. And if you're going to change something in healthcare, change only one thing, right? right. And, and so what that means is on the business side of this, we are deliberately doing nothing new, <laughs> okay? okay? What we are selling is a care management service in the exact same way it's sold today. So on the pharma side, you've got specialty pharmacies with call centers full of nurses and pharmacists calling patients. They are selling care management programs to the pharma manufacturers to provide better care for patients. On the provider side, you've got nurses that are, you know, sometimes in the, you know, in the provider's office calling patients or, you know, sometimes you've got a model where you're, you're sending someone out, right, the home health model. And so in either case, our contracts look exactly the same. You know, we get paid on a per patient per month basis for providing this service to patients. Uh, and so that's who our customers are. Now, we work directly with the patients. We ship directly to the patients. We support them. Uh, but the customers are the providers and the pharma companies. Okay, so I'm uh, um, Pfizer and 
uh, you come to you come to me and, and you're you're per patient per month. Are you billing insurance or is the pharma company paying to put this in? So again, just like they're doing today, the pharma companies are spending billions of dollars on these care management programs already. Now, for the same price point, you know that you can put a robot in a patient's home and talk to that patient every day, they are getting maybe two calls a month to the patient. Okay, right? They're paying for that. They're paying for this instead, but the model is exactly the same. I got it. Okay. So sorry, it's just that I the the one thing that always comes up whenever there's new technology, it's like, hey, that's great. Do you have a do you have a code? And yep. Coverage and uh, what's the payment, right? And so, so this is really there is no there is no reimbursement, but these companies, the healthcare systems, the providers, and the pharma, they're already paying for this, and they're paying for this because they want to make sure there's compliance. The patients are using it, so they continue to get good data that the product works. I'm assuming that's why they're doing it. That's a part of it. And if you look at what's happening in a lot of pharma right now, you know, there there is an understanding that you need to go beyond just what the, you know, the drug itself is doing. Right? The drug is definitely a key piece of it. That's the core of their business, right. obviously. But you know, there's now an understanding that you know, when you're providing a solution to patients, it's more than just giving them you know, a pill or an injectable or you know, whatever it might be. You've got to solve that overall problem for the patient, and this fits in with that. Okay. No, it's great because um, you know I wrote something down that as I was looking at this, and it's you're using artificial. Well, I should ask the question. You're using artificial intelligence within this robot, correct? Absolutely. That's how we generate the conversations on the fly for each patient. Does does that interaction grow? I don't know if that's the right term or not or, or word, but evolve and grow based on the interaction with individual patients. Absolutely. So that's what's amazing, <laughs> right? I mean, that just blows me away. I've got <laughs> this robot because I've, I've watched the, uh, the videos on your website. Right. And, and I'm sitting here going, that's going to be his best friend, <laughs> you know, over time. Definitely. And right? that's what we see. You know, if I go back to that first trial that I did, this was back in 2007 in the greater Boston area. That was a time-limited trial. You know, this was part of my PhD. I needed to get all these robots back so I can get the data off of them. You know, they were not internet-connected at that point. Right. So I know what's going on. I can evaluate it and, uh, and eventually graduate. Right. <laughs> and one of the biggest challenges of that trial was after a couple of months, patients didn't want to give these back to us. Oh, so <laughs> you know, oh, no. You know, she's like a friend. She's like a family member. Can I keep her just another month? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and so we saw, you know, a real bond form there. So, you know, that's, that's exactly what happens. That, it just blows me away. And so I'm, I'm, I have to, you know, the, the assumption is that interaction is, so on your website, it also says mobile apps don't work, right? And what you were just talking about, pill Correct. reminders, mobile apps, your phone dinging at you, whatever. It just doesn't work. And it's that psychological component that people are checking out. I'm, I, it's a simple way of saying it, I guess, on my end. Yeah. Right. And then Absolutely. this this interaction right. just becomes more valuable over time for that patient, and it and it it almost seems like it's going to be a motivator to stay on track. Um, you yes, almost don't want to exactly. let the robot down. I would say, right. Well, you know, we position it a little bit differently That's in that you know this is a, a tool to help you. Sure. Right? If I'm getting one of these, it's because I've either just been diagnosed 
or I'm getting a new treatment for an existing diagnosis. And those points in time are important because at that point, I tend to have this intrinsic motivation, right? Sure. I'm going to beat this or I'm going to manage this or you know, whatever is relevant to that situation. And so that's when we introduce it. So this is a tool for, for that person to help themselves. It's not so much about you know, not disappointing you know, the, the robot, sure. although there can be an element of that for some people, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But it's really about, you know, here, here's how I'm going to you know, do better for myself. Sure. Who decides or how, do you, how is the decision made from the pharma company or from the provider on who's going to um, put that robot in the home? So the answer to that really varies. You know, when we're working with the pharma companies, what tends to happen is we partner with the specialty pharmacies that are dispensing the drug. Okay. And so on their first call or two with a patient, they're going to offer this. On the back end, we've fully integrated with those pharmacies. So if the patient opts in, you know, that pharmacist can click a button on her or his screen, and that'll transmit the patient information over to us, and we'll ship directly to that patient. On the provider side, you know, the way that they work is uh, is a bit more varied, and so we can set it up where it's similar. They give us the patient information, and we ship to the patient. Uh, they can have them in the hospital for patients going home at discharge to take with them. Uh, in some cases, they've got patients, you know, coming back in for uh, say a heart failure management class, and they'll send them home then. So it's it's, it's a bit varied in terms of how they actually get to patients. Yeah, because so is it? Unfortunately, because there's human interaction on that decision, is it subjective from the provider side on who they're going to offer it to, or is there guidelines specifically within these systems saying you find a heart failure patient, you offer this? Yeah, so it depends on the particular provider. It's it's not going to be subjective. There are always guidelines. Either it's okay, you know, every patient who's going to be discharged is going to be offered this, or you know, patients who meet certain criteria are going to be offered this. The the specifics are going to vary. Uh, in a lot of what we're doing with pharma, it's you know, every patient with a new prescription will be offered this. So there are there are a number of different ways that that decision can be made, but it's always outlined at the beginning of a program. Okay, so it's just kind of interesting is that you know having you know, this commercial background for 25 years, and I'm thinking of a specialty pharmacy that's going to offer this to a patient. Do you have to teach them how to articulate the, the value propositions so that it's more likely to accept it versus, hey, I've got this robot that's going to talk to you? Right? <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. so we do a couple of things. You know, as I mentioned, they are offering it typically to patients on the phone. You know, most specialty pharmacy is, of course, uh, through mail order, so you're going to interact with patients via phone and email, or phone and uh, mail. And so we'll actually give them a script that they can use when talking to the patient. And we will go in with each specialty pharmacy and do uh, a half a day of training for, you know, for management, for the staff who are going to be on the phone with patients to, you know, talk them through obviously what they're going to be able to say, you know, what they can say to patients about this, but also just more generally so that they understand it. So they understand what the system is, how it integrates with what they are doing. You know, we spend a lot of time as a company thinking about integration with our partners and customers. And, you know, of course, there's a piece of technical integration there, but more importantly is workflow integration. How do we integrate this with what they already do? How do we make it so this is not overwhelming? You know, sure. we're not dumping all of the data that we get on them. We're figuring out what, are, what is the data that is relevant to their existing clinical workflows and how do we tie that in with what they do. Yeah. So those are the kinds of things that we do with the pharmacies or the providers to make sure that this is going to be an effective solution to help them better manage their patients. Right. And so you're, you're really only a year out, so you, I'm sure you have a lot of data, but there's more data to come. And you're giving that data back into these uh, the farmers or the, uh, the pharma companies or the providers is going to be 
very obviously very important for them to continue to support, but even get more, um, I don't want to say aggressive, but more enthusiastic about the program as they see it being really used in a way in which their patients are doing better. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if we look at what's happening across, you know, a, a lot of healthcare there's certainly a, a lot of discussion and drive towards innovation, but there's also a whole lot of, you know, I want to wait and see that this works. Right, <laughs> you know, they want right. The proof that, that someone else has done it already. And so as we get more and more of that, as we start to announce who some of our big customers are over the next few months, it really does help to start to drive this forward even faster. Okay, that's great. So what... Um uh, once again, just from a sales perspective, we got a lot of salespeople that listen to this podcast. So when you're going in, what are the um, the biggest objections you're getting from uh, the pharma companies? And um, but they're also interested in speaking to you as well. So it's kind of, I guess, I'm wondering what are they saying, but what do they really want to hear? that's moving them in this direction? Well, there's a few different things that are going on. You know, if I had to characterize a number of the discussions that we've had over the last four years, it's along the lines of, you know, we want to do something really innovative and new for our patients as soon as someone else has. <laughs> <laughs> right? and, and, and partly for good reason, right? Pharma sure. and a lot of healthcare moves slowly because we figure out what works and we want to stick with it. We don't want to, you know, make changes easily. And there's a lot of overhead to making changes in healthcare. And, and so it's understandable that that's the case. But that's one of the biggest things that, you know, we come up against when we are doing something obviously yeah. very new. Uh, and, you know, there are questions around, you know, does this work? Show us the data. We have that. We can show them that. It really comes down to, in my mind, an organizational question, right? Are they a, a company, an organization that can do something novel? Do they know how to take something that is a bit different and is not being used across the entire industry today and, you know, get that in front of patients? Yeah. And the answer there is quite varied. You know, some of the companies do have the ability to do that uh, and some of them struggle more to do something like that. Sure. Sure. No, it's, it, it's just like sales that we do every day. I mean, if, whether we're selling to a doctor, a nurse, purchasing, it, you, you get that same interaction. I have a new widget that does this. That's great. Nine out of 10 times, a doctor is going to ask, who else in the area is using that? Right? It's the same. Yep, exactly. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, our challenges are, are not unique, you know, just because this is using, you know, a lot of artificial intelligence uh, and, you know, we're using robotics, you know, at first glance, yes, this looks very different. But when it comes down to fundamentally, what are we seeing when we're, you know, in these sales discussions about getting this out to patients? It's the same thing that you're going to face anywhere. Yeah, no, it's great. So, um, so you're, you're out a year, um, you're coming up with two more applications, uh, conditions to, to treat to help those patients with this year. And um, what's keeping you up at night right now? You know, it's uh, a lot of things around how do we grow. We are getting a lot of interest uh, across both the pharma and the provider space. You know, we're still a relatively young company, as sure. you noted, mm -hmm. and we've got a lot to do this year. <laughs> yeah, And so, you know, a lot of it's, you know, how do we manage all of this at the same time, which is what we have to do in order to effectively grow. That's great, though. I mean, it's a good problem to have. Um, it is. So, it is, absolutely. You know, I get I get crazy excited about uh, companies like yours and with, like I said earlier, digital health, predictive analytics, artificial intelligence, robotics. It just, it blows me away. So I'm very optimistic 
that it's going to be adopted, all this stuff is going to be adopted, and we're just going to have better outcomes in healthcare. Where do you see, from your perspective, where do you see not only your company, but artificial intelligence, I don't know, five to 10 years from now in the healthcare environment? Well, I think what we're going to see over the next five to 10 years is it's going to be everywhere in the healthcare environment. And the reason I say that is we're already starting to see this today. You know, we see a lot of applications of AI right now. And a lot of what we see right now, though, is is essentially hidden. <laughs> you know, it's things that are happening in the background that, you know, patients almost never see. Uh, in some cases, you know, doctors aren't going to see. So the places where AI has made the biggest inroads is anywhere where you have a big data set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that in terms of you know, one of the big themes of AI over the last five years or so, it's been in, you know, what we call machine learning or deep learning, right? Which is essentially taking big data sets, learning something from those and applying it more broadly. And so a couple places in healthcare where we've got data sets, you know, one in the, you know, what we think of traditionally as medicine is in radiology and imaging. Those are places where we've got huge data sets that we can train algorithms to learn from and do better job of diagnoses. And that's a, that's a place where we've seen an impact over the last few years. Another interesting place that uh, that we have big data sets are on the claims side. You know, we have a lot of data from claims over many years. Yep. What what can we do with that to either better predict outcomes or figure out which patients need more care or you know where there might be problems coming up that we wouldn't have otherwise identified and now we can do something about. So you know that's another interesting place. But overall, what the trend is going to be over the next few years is this intersection of AI and people. And so what we're starting to see is where this works best is when you can have you know, a clinician or someone else in healthcare leverage these algorithms to do their job more efficiently and or more effectively. You know, the example from radiology is when you pair a radiologist with one of these algorithms to do maybe some of the initial screening with the algorithm and then turn it over to the radiologist to make a final decision, that's a great use case of this. Right. And, and I think we're going to see that spread throughout you know, many, many different applications in healthcare from you know, diagnosis to treatment to back office uh, and just a lot more of this popping up in many different places. And you know, it's going to be fit into a lot of the existing tools that we have, whether it's embedded in devices like the one that we're building, whether it's you know, hidden behind the EHR interfaces that clinicians are using all day, every day. Those are the places where we're going to start to see a real impact in the, the near term. It's so exciting, isn't it? I mean, I could, I could tremendously, feel, I feel, I can feel your energy around this, you know, and you know, when you're talking, I'm smiling going, gosh, everything is going to change. And there's going to be so many more opportunities for people to get involved, I think, in this healthcare arena to help our overall healthcare system to, to, to extract costs and make things more efficient. Um, and I think that's exciting, um, just because our healthcare costs are, are out of control. So anything we can do to help um, is going to be fantastic. So I, I am just thrilled. I'm thrilled for for you, um, for the company. I, I love the robot, I, I have to tell you. Those big blue eyes <laughs> on the robot is, <laughs> is just fantastic. And I would just uh, um, suggest to everybody, you know, listening, go to the website and uh, look at some of these videos and you're going to be impressed. It, it's really cool. Um, what, you know, from, you know, you're looking at like you have all these different applications. Do you see yourself branching into something else, being able to leverage this elsewhere? Anything you can talk about, because I know there's going to be competition out there, but any, anywhere else you see you going or are you, you focused on this? I mean, in terms of this. 
us, we define this as a chronic care management platform. You know, okay. the, the robot is the obvious interface. There are a lot of tools behind the scenes that go into making this work. We're continuing to build out across a number of different disease states. Yeah. You know, so I talked about three of them that were either in now or will be very, very soon. Uh, and we're continuing to build out others. So we'll be making more announcements over the course of this year. And we really work closely with our customers and partners to figure out what's next. You okay. know, of course, there's a huge demand to, <laughs> to sure. do this across a lot of different disease states. And, you know, we have to go sort of one by one. We're also putting together partnerships, uh, you know, and, and other collaborations in order to do this faster. You know, we have been working with the American Heart Association for the last year uh, and have leveraged that relationship to much more quickly build our heart failure application. So that's a way that we can, you know, take existing expertise in various disease states and bring it to patients even faster. Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, it's that, that collaboration um, that is really going to accelerate this. And, and um, I, you know, as I look at just look at, you know, as, as you said you know, earlier in our conversation, just about an aging population and um, living longer and having these chronic diseases, how much more impactful that's going to be for so many people. And it's just, it's going to change lives. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to, to watch, you know, your company grow and, uh, and, and really just impact the healthcare space. Well, that's our whole goal. And, you know, we're having a lot of fun doing it too. And the feedback that we get directly from patients uh, very much makes it worthwhile. Great. Um, so, you know, Corey, is there anything else that you'd like to share with the Medical Sales Nation just about uh, the company, maybe where they can, you know, follow your growth and what you're, what you're doing and uh, just so they can, they can watch uh, your success? Well, we'd love to have people taking part in this. Uh, Catalia Health is the company, C-A-T-A-L-I-A, so CataliaHealth.com. Uh, you can follow us at Catalia Health on Twitter. I'm Corey K, C-O-R-Y-K on Twitter, and you know, would love to talk to people uh, through any of those uh, outlets. Okay. No, that sounds great. So, Corey, thank you so much for taking your time. I know you are extremely busy to uh, to share your story with the medical sales nation and uh, um, and to share your excitement and, and what you're going to do for healthcare and and to show them the the, um, the medical field how unbelievably interesting this field is going to become and and continue to grow and so many opportunities for people to be a part of something great like Italia Health. So I want to thank you. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity, and I uh, look forward to hearing from your listeners. All right. Sounds great. Everybody, Medical Sales Nation, thanks a lot. Follow Catalia Health. Um, go to their website. Check out their videos. You know, go, to, go to Twitter. This is so exciting. You got to stay on top of this type of healthcare innovation that's going on because you need to be a student of your game to continue to grow, to be knowledgeable, to provide value to your customers, and just to have interesting conversations about where healthcare is going. So without any further ado, have a great day, everybody, and thank you so much. 